Well, hey, good morning, Collective Church. Uh, for those of you, like Lorenzo, just welcome, that are new. Maybe you uh, joined us at some point in the Story of Justice series, or maybe this is your first week, or maybe you've been here uh, for quite some time, for years. Uh, whoever you are, uh, so good to you just have this opportunity to, once again, study the scriptures together, to investigate the person and work of Jesus, uh, even in the midst of a season where we may not be able to do that in the same room together. For those of you that are joining us, maybe uh, within the story of justice or your first time, or even for those of us that have been here quite some time, uh, what we're doing today is we're jumping back into the gospel of Mark, where we've been uh, for the most part of 2020, uh, with the exception of our teaching on justice uh, that we just wrapped up last week. And so as a bit of a kind of previously in the gospel of Mark, what we've been following for these past four chapters is Jesus's ministry and teaching along alongside his, his close followers, his disciples. Specifically where we left off was Jesus teaching from a boat where standing on the, uh, you know, the, the stern of the boat, teaching to this giant crowd gathered on the shore as Jesus was teaching. And so that brings us into Mark chapter four, beginning in verse 35, where we're gonna be today. And so why don't you follow along with me here in the text. Where Mark writes, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, being his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him, Jesus, with them, the disciples, in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. There was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, given a long enough span of time, any relationship is prone to speed along the highway into what we could call the land of familiarity. Whether it's your relationship with your roommate, spouse, family, friends, or even a church community or your work, your job, the years leave you and I feeling as though we have them, the other, fairly figured out. You may not like the way your roommate leaves dishes in the sink or how you're spouse every single day seems to put their damp towel on the edge of the bed. But at the same time, there's a safety in the fact that you now have learned to anticipate and expect dishes in the sink and damp bed edges. The land of familiarity feels safe within these relationships when we have these individuals fairly figured out. But at the end of the day, it ends up getting boring. Our relationships end up sliding into a form of cruise control where we have found that whether our spouse or roommate or job or boss or, or community or friends is that we can fairly certainly work the levers and get out the results that we need, the continuation of the relationship. This whole dynamic was true for the first followers of Jesus, those disciples as well, thinking that they kind of had him figured out after one to two years of following him. You know, he gets up, he teaches the parable. At first, maybe there were questions about these mysterious teachings, but once you hear it, you've kind of heard it. And how many times do you have to see someone 
exercise demons or heal the blind person before it kind of just begins to get monotonous. Even employees at Disneyland sooner or later get bored of their jobs and the monotony of working in the world's happiest place. The same was true with you and me. Whether you're not a follower of Jesus at all, or you've been following him for decades, we can find ourselves in the land of familiarity where we carry a sense that we kind of have Jesus figured out. Whether that's for you that don't identify as a Christian, you kind of have him figured out. And so we kind of just keep him at an arm's length distance. Yeah, good teacher, maybe bad teacher, good teacher, but bad application by some weirdos. But Jesus is kind of over there or you've been following for decades and now you kind of shrug at the idea of prayer. You're able to talk about concepts like grace and resurrection and the Trinity with glazed over eyes. You love Jesus deeply, but you're not excited about him. Not like you used to be anymore. Is this the nature of any relationship? That at some point or another, we drive into the empty horizon of the land of familiarity. Are the options between just dozing off as we put our car, our life, this relationship into cruise control, or at some point driving the relationship off the cliff and starting over with someone or somewhere else? Are the options between divorce and a loveless or just kind of a boring marriage, between moving to a new city or just settling into the blah of it all or this relationship? Are the options between empty religious monotony or flavor of the month spirituality where we're jumping from thing to thing? The story that we just read is Mark's answer to these sorts of questions, believe it or not. Offering to us a third way actually out of the land of familiarity that actually continues in the relationship. You see, it all begins with Jesus's call for his disciples, his call that he still makes to you and me to go across to the other side. Now, at the risk of over-spiritualizing it, Jesus is inviting his disciples to leave the land of Galilee where all of their ministry had been and to go over to a new land, a new territory, new ministry and new opportunities. And I think the same can be said that Jesus regularly will invite us and call us into new land, new opportunities, new ministry, new work, new experiences of freshness, something that keeps us out of the land of familiarity by going into a new one. But the journey out of the land of familiarity is not an easy route. It takes us into three, what Mark calls greats, three greats that Mark names in this text. And along with them, three great questions. You can see in the text, if you were you know, highlighting or taking circles here, that in verse 37, Mark notes a great windstorm. And then in uh, verse 39, he refers to there being a great calm. And then finally in verse 41, a great fear. And so today we're going to be looking at the great storm, the great calm and the great fear, or as you could translate that, a great awe. And in all of this, hoping to find a way out of the land of familiarity, one that doesn't mean that we just kind of cruise control our lives. And at the same time, also doesn't mean that we walk away from Jesus, but we find a new perception. With that being said, let's pray really quick. Father, would you speak through us, speak to us through this text today? I pray that you would uh, speak through me. Help me, God, that my words might uh, pierce us where we need to be uh, pierced. 
Comfort our hearts where we need to be comforted. Guide us in what it means to be your people. Help us. And we pray. Amen. And so as always, notes are there in the chat if you want to follow along and those uh, are helpful for you. But let's first look at the great storm, Mark's great storm. And so the story begins with Jesus and his disciples sailing across the Sea of Galilee out into the new land, out from the old familiar territory of ministry of Galilee into the other side. But along the way, a great storm arises. And in the midst of this storm, the disciples' boat is in danger of sinking quite quickly. Now, what's happening here is, on one hand, Mark is recounting the eyewitness accounts of the disciples as he was interviewing them and getting the stories. He's, he's telling us something that genuinely happened. You can find those unconscious moments of uh, authenticity. We've talked about this before, of talking about Jesus is being asleep on the cushion. The fact that there were other boats there that happened at evening, he's sleeping in the stern. These are things that do nothing to the story other than showing that it's something that really happened. But Mark also invites us not to just read at a distance of that being an eyewitness account of way back then, but to enter into the story with our own lives and our own storms. So the question is, what storms are you weathering? All of you yell at the TV, it's 2020. (laughs) What isn't a storm? What doesn't feel like another wave crashing against the boat and in danger of taking us down into the sea and into death? The waves continued week by week to be compounded against us. Some of these waves are large and universal and it seems like it affects every single one of us. And some of them are focused and they impact just us alone and they feel like they're ours to bear. These waves compounding against us leads to us all being more or less a complete and total mess right now. And anyone who tells you they are not is delusional or a liar. We are all scared, fearful, concerned, anxious. And that's what the whole, that's what storms do. See, we are all desperately clinging to the ship that is our life in the midst of this storm. And we are slung in all directions until we are nauseated with anxiety. So the question would be, maybe as a a time of meditation during this week, or even right now, if you're journaling, uh, is just to ask the question, what are the waves that have been breaking into my boat? I'd encourage you to write, write these all out. See them in front of you. Bring them to discipleship groups. Share them. See which ones you have in common and which ones you alone feel like you're facing and to share those with someone. Over this past you know, week, we've seen, uh, past couple of weeks, we have fires here in California, the, the smoke that continues to come in. We've got hurricanes. We have uh, the pandemic that continues to go, the sickness, the fear of infection that comes as we go out into the world. We've got an upcoming election and the national implications of what will happen in November. There is a political tension that continues to develop within our nation that feels like it's pulling it in half and a hopelessness that comes about any kind of reconciliation in the midst of it. There are the waves of the the racial injustices that we continue to see, of the shootings, of the violence begetting violence within this nation. Maybe on the more individual level, there are the personal waves of family or roommate tension, of pregnancy, of having a newborn, of suffering a miscarriage, of being locked in your house or apartment with the children that you have, of feeling locked in an apartment all by yourself. 
and the isolation you feel. The waves of loneliness, the waves of working from home or the waves of being at home without work, the waves of death, both in the statistic numbers we see and with family members over this past year and friends. Waves of depression and anxiety. The reality is, is as you sit down and start to journal it, you're gonna find a very long list. And that's the point. I think we need to grasp the full Doppler radar view of what this season and year holds for us. This storm is an excuse me using a word that's been overused, an unprecedented experience in our relationship with Jesus. It's something that we're not expecting. And this storm brings out a question within each and every one of us. It's the same question as those disciples. Teacher, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? Each wave crashing against the side of your boat and mine slams us with the reality we are perishing. It is the rumble of panic beneath everything that leaves these disciples freaking out and somehow Jesus is sleeping in. Doesn't prayer in 2020 feel a bit like this? Or really any season of distress? Every single time you kind of sit down and pray, maybe you don't cross your hands like that, but every time you sit down and pray in the midst of this year, it feels like you're trying to wake a sleeping God. In the midst of this perishing, it leads us with the question, teacher, rabbi, Jesus, don't you care about us? Whatever might have been said about Jesus on the safety of the shore by the disciples has now been washed away amidst this storm to reveal the deeper perception of who these disciples have figured out Jesus to be. Jesus, in fact, does not care about us. He is either powerless to help or careless and asleep. You see, before the storm ever reveals anything about Jesus, the storm uncovers something about you. Before the storm reveals something about Jesus, it always uncovers something about you. For the disciples, it uncovers that underneath all of their following Jesus and ministry with him over the past one to two years, at the end of the day, there was still panic and doubt and distrust of Jesus and fear and terror. And the storm washes away all the false image to show what's truly going on in their hearts. The disciples sound eerily similar to what Jesus called the rocky soil just earlier in chapter four. He talks about this parable of the rocky soil, these people that when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. They endure for a while, but when tribulation arises, immediately they fall away. It's like he's describing the disciples here. And so the question is not about the disciples here, but about you and about me. What have the waves of 2020 revealed about you? What has this year and the crashing of the waves shown you? Not in the beach shore image of what you look like when everything seems to be going well and safe. What is the you underneath all of it? When the terror of the storm and the waves wash away the makeup and we see you for who you really are. What have you found there? Distrust? Bitterness? Codependency, addiction, running into isolation and self-protection, criticism, anger, outright panic, chasing after little pleasures to just pretend that the world doesn't feel like it's falling apart. And so we self-medicate by 
looking at porn a couple times a week or playing video games or binging whatever's next on Netflix or cooking sourdough again and again and again until we have more bread than we need because that's the only semblance of safety. And I'm not against like self-care and all this kind, but there's a reality of asking the question, what's going on here? Does your Amazon cart and the fact that you've got boxes after boxes that continue to come through 2020 show that maybe the novelty and the newness of possessions is something that you chase after when everything's stripped away? Selfishness. The storm uncovers something about you before it will reveal anything about Jesus. And in fact, in order for it to reveal something about Jesus, it has to uncover something in us. The reality is you may not be asking and praying, God, do you care? Jesus, do you care? Why are you asleep? But at the end of the day, in the storm, your actions reveal what your words may not. Your patterns of caring for yourself, of protecting yourself, of medicating and whatevering yourself reveal who you really are. It shows it in the disciples and it does it in us. And so in discipleship group this week, I would invite you and encourage each and every one of you, not simply to talk through the shared and individual waves of what 2020 has held for you, but in that to acknowledge and even confess in some cases together what the storm has revealed about you this year. To find as you do that we all are seeing a deeper side of us that we may not have seen if 2020 would have had uh, better weather. You see, the storm uncovers something within you. But for those of us who call out to Jesus, it also has the opportunity to reveal something new about him. And we find this. What is Jesus's response to the disciples' fear? As he awakes, what is his response to their claims of indifference in the storm? He awakes, he gets up, he walks up under the boat and it says he rebukes the wind and he says to the sea, peace, hush, be still. It's like God gets up, Jesus gets up and looks out over the waves and the lightning and the thunder and the wind and just shh, and everything goes calm. Aaron and I repeat these words infinitely every single night over our four-month-old Arlo. Shh, peace, go to bed. Sleep over and over again and again and again and again. And that's just for a baby to have just an ounce of the power that Jesus displays over this storm for that little, that little newborn. Oh, the power that Jesus has. <laughs> I wish I had it. But what's going on here beyond just Jesus showing that he can put the storm to sleep? There is an eyewitness account here of, of Peter and the early disciples seeing Jesus's power that up to this point they had not seen. But even more than that, what's going on here? Jesus is giving us, Mark is presenting for us, a picture of what Jesus is going to one day fully do to all the storms of chaos and evil and sin and darkness in this world. We looked at this last week in the story of justice in Revelation 21 and 22. This also is a portrait and picture of what Jesus often brings in moments and seasons of our lives when he brings a great calm when he brings healing and provision and protection. But also more important to us here today, this is also a portrait of what Jesus can bring, not just to the external storms, but the internal storms that we face within ourselves, that he can bring a great calm for us. 
what the Apostle Paul calls a peace that passes all understanding in Philippians 4. Now, this peace that passes all understanding, this great calm that we are able to have in the midst of the chaos storms of this year, this is not something that I've attained to. Not something I'm pretending to have figured out and now you guys all follow me. What I am saying here is I believe that the spirit is inviting you and me and us together into an experience of a sort of calm that goes beyond what we're able to muster through our, you know, fill in the list of the ways that we respond to the waves. A calm that goes deeper than what you're able to find just disappearing into Netflix each night. A calm that goes deeper than the short-term pleasure that covers over the panic and the pain with whatever addiction cycle you keep returning to. A peace that goes deeper than that peace and all the chemicals that fire in your brain when you smell that fresh baked sourdough out of your oven, whatever it might be. A peace that goes deeper. I don't have it yet but I believe that it's there for us if we reach, if we call like these disciples out to Jesus. And the good news of this story is that Jesus doesn't wait for you or for me to pray the perfect prayer before he answers. Did you catch that in the story today? They are panic stricken. Clearly they're afraid and lacking faith is what Jesus will say to them. And yet Jesus does not wait for the perfect prayer before he answers, but he does in a sense sleep until the prayer is made. The good news of this story is that Jesus isn't waiting for you to pray the perfect prayer before you get involved. He answers our prayers from the deep place of our souls that are not and or are often filled with panic and sin and mess. You see, your doubts, your lack of faith, your fear, your panic, your whatever it might be is not a burden or barrier to the presence and work of Jesus. He will show up. He will begin to show you a calm that you could not experience, but Jesus will also use this opportunity to do a deeper and greater work than just calming the storm. By asking you a great questions, not in condemnation, but a Christ-led curiosity of your own heart and its inner working. The question being, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And so without spending too much time on this, how would you answer the question to Jesus? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? It may be worth taking time over this week and lead up to your time with a discipleship group, whether journal or phone or just jotting down, spending time, silence and solitude, whatever it might be. Just to write out, why am I so afraid and why do I still have no faith? You see, the reasons why you're afraid will likely be the same list as all of the waves that have been crashing into your boat. It's going to be the exact same thing. And so I'll just save you time. You can just link those together. See, now you only have to do one list, one question. But the deeper question is to ask, I think the deeper question that Jesus is asking is not just why you're afraid, but why do you still have no faith? No trust as it can be translated. Why don't you believe that I care about you? Why don't you believe that I'm here for you? Do you believe that God and Jesus are too busy, too powerless? Do you believe that they're asleep at the wheel? Do you believe, what is the reason that you still have no faith? Be worth spending some time on and bringing to discipleship group, sharing that with one another 
and encouraging one another in the midst of it. So that might be how you answer. How did the disciples answer the question? The response of the disciples is what? How do they answer? Jesus asks a question. Hey, why are you guys so afraid? And why are you still without faith? And they don't answer. What they do is they, they get filled with a great fear. There's the third great, a great fear. Uh, literally in, in the Greek that Mark's writing is, is that they feared a great fear is how he puts it. You see the fear of the storm in watching Jesus calm it gets replaced with a fear or an awe, I think is often better translated, of an awe of Jesus. That this fear or awe of Jesus is one of, of tininess in the face of this thing. Before the storm, just minutes ago, they felt tiny at the mercy of whatever this storm was going to do. And now seeing Jesus as the one that is able to still it, they feel tiny and at the mercy of this person standing in the boat with them. Why is this so fearful? Why so much awe? They have just seen a human do what only God can do. Throughout the Hebrew scriptures, it is only God who can calm the waters and only God who rebukes the sea. These Jewish men inundated with the Jewish scriptures have seen a human being do what only God can do. Jesus is revealing and showing a deeper picture and vision and view of who he is for these disciples. And in calming the storm in that split second, Jesus brings the disciples immediately out of the land of familiarity and into what we could call the territory of awesome curiosity or fearful curiosity, if we want to use uh, the way that we translated it here. And what is the territory of awesome curiosity? It is predicated on one question, the driving question. Who then is this? Who is Jesus? Whether you have never followed Jesus, whether you've been giving him one to two years or 10 to 20 years, this is the fundamental question of your life. Who is Jesus? The land of familiarity in any relationship so you apply this, you got marriage problems, you got roommate problems, you feel bored with work, whatever it might be. And, and, and specifically here in the relationship with Jesus is our first priority today. The leaving of the land of familiarity is done by entering the territory of awesome curiosity. As Melissa Westner, she's a licensed clinical professional counselor. How's that for job title? Uh, she says, in relating to other relationships, it's only when you stop being curious that boredom sets in. Or as therapist Michelle Pava puts, the person who states they're bored in any relationship, 80% plus, 80, more than 80% of the time, they will see it's actually their perception that needs to be explored. If this is true with your roommate and your spouse and your boss and your work and this community that we call the church, if this is true with your relationship, if you're bored with your children, if you're bored with yourself, how much more is this true that the boredom that you feel, the land, of the land of familiarity that you face with your relationship with Jesus is not that Jesus is wanting, but that you have just settled into figuring him out. As G.K. Chesterton put it, the greatest illusion is the illusion of familiarity. In the storms of 2020, my prayer is that we might shake off the illusions and figuring outs of Jesus that we have and enter into the territory of a greater curiosity. Because I believe that as we do, we will find the life-changing answers to those earlier two great questions. 
What were those two great questions? The first was, Jesus, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? If we spend enough time meditating on the question, who then is this? We have the answer to whether or not God cares that we're perishing. Jesus cares immensely about the fact that his disciples are perishing, not just in the storm, but in their physical human bodies. Jesus cares immensely about the suffering and chaos and death of this world, so much so that he entered into that perishing, that he himself allowed himself to enter into the human experience with all of its suffering, with all of its pain, with all of its shame. Does Jesus care? The ignorant irony of his disciples is that that is the thing that Jesus cares most about, is the impact of death and sin on this world. It's why he came. The second question is, why are you so afraid that Jesus asks us? And have you still no faith? See, the answer to this question gets turned on its head when we spend time meditating on who then is this Jesus? By finding our faith being met, not with us figuring him out, but a territory of faith where we come together with this. Man, if I believe, we'll just go all the way back to the early Christians. If I believe in God, the Father Almighty, who is the creator of heaven and earth, of quarks and ducks that quack, if I believe in God, the creator of heaven and earth, if I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried and descended to the dead, If I believe that on the third day he rose again, that he has ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, if I believe that he will come again to judge the living and the dead, if I believe that he has sent the Holy Spirit into me and into our community and into his holy universal church, giving us the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting, if I believe and capture and remember and remind myself of this reality, that is not some simple philosophy, but grounded in the historical bodily resurrection and life and work of Jesus Christ. If I have faith in this, I have nothing to be afraid of. To discover Jesus is the essence of what it means to be human. It is the essence of the journey of discipleship. Mark is going to hang this theme over the coming chapters. It's where we're going in the coming weeks to follow this question, diving deeper and deeper into the identity of Jesus Christ. Who then is this? And what does that mean in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our doubt, in our confusion and chaos? It all leads up to chapter eight, where Jesus turns the tables and he finally asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? Mark begins here at the end of chapter four, all the way to eight, the question of who is Jesus? It's the great question of our lives. And maybe you don't identify as a Christian, but the reality is you have to do something with the historical groundings of of the resurrection. You have to do something with the brokenness and chaos of this world that is not just unfortunate, but strikes your heart as evil. There seems to be an order that we're longing for and it seems to be the resurrection that we're wanting. And it seems historically that it is not intellectual suicide to place all of our hopes that Jesus got up from the dead. And finally, as we saw, to discover Jesus more fully, 
is the key to being able to rest in the midst of the storm. Jesus was able to sleep in the storm because he knew who he was. The disciples were terrified in the midst of the storm because they had slipped into the illusion of familiarity. They had not truly discovered deeply who Jesus was. And so the reality is, for those of us who know who Jesus is at a more deeper level, we can sleep in the storm. It does not mean that we won't go through the storm, but it means that like Jesus, we can take a nap in the midst of it all. And so as Ray Ortland Jr. puts in his book, When God Comes to Church, there is more for us in Christ than we have yet apprehended. Let's never think we have him figured out or we've seen all that he can do. And so what we're gonna do now is go into a time of prayer and response. I'm gonna begin by just slowly praying over us a prayer from uh, Liturgies from Hope based out of New York that uh, is based on the text, the story that we looked at today. And so this will be on the screen. You can follow along and uh, you can pray it out loud if you'd like, or you can just let me pray this over us. And so I'm gonna pray this and then we'll move into the rest of our time. Remind us. Remind us, Jesus, that you lay sleeping in the middle of the storm at sea. You are neither surprised nor distressed by the mounting chaos. You are not a God who panics. O Christ, who defeated the sting of death upon the cross, be near. Be near and calm the sea within us with one word so that we may then comfort others with the same comfort you have given to us. Out of your loving kindness, you do not condemn our fear, but rather you call us into something far more magnificent, wild, glorious trust in the one who holds the whole world together. Amen. And so in the midst of the storms that we go through, we can call out to Jesus. That like the disciples, we can call in the midst of us feeling as though Jesus might be asleep. We can call out to him in prayer, not from a posture of fear, but a place of faith. We can pray and ask that he might help us to experience the great calm, both the healing of this world, that he would come quickly, that he would return and set all things right. And that he would also provide us with a peace that passes understanding in the meantime. And this also calls us to embark on the journey into the territory of awesome curiosity, never forgetting or assuming whose boat we're in. <laughs> 